Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 37. We make quite a team. This week, we're discussing season 3, episode 2 of Buffy, Dead Man's Party, and series 3, episode 8 of Doctor Who, Human Nature. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so Buffy is starting first this week. Um, so I want to start, rather than talking about the characters individually, like we often do, I want to look at them first as a team or as a unit, because I think that's as much a, a character in, like, the Scoobies as a collective is maybe as much of a character as each of them individually. And uh, and more so in this episode, I think you're really aware of the group and what happens this time around. Um, and we've talked uh, way back in, like, whatever, episode two or something, that I said this theory about the soul triptych. Um, one of the things that I brought up, which... I didn't necessarily come up with. I sort of cribbed this off of John Granger. Um, but the the basic, one of the basic aspects of this kind of theory is that the unit to work properly must sort of be in proper alignment and must be working as a team. So mm -hmm. as much as they're individuals with characters of their own and their own strengths and weaknesses and, uh, you know, journeys... And we'd spend, we talk about that all the time. We also want to look at how are they working together um, mm. to kind of keep the machine working. And the well-oiled machine will use all of its parts in the, the appropriate fashion. Um, and I think that this is really the biggest episode where we've seen that machine not working as it should. You know, the other candidate maybe being the opening of the last season in when she was bad when Buffy comes back yeah um yeah and uh so I kind of want to talk about that because this episode was kind of difficult for me to watch like it was really bothersome a lot of mm -hmm. and, and not like in a not the writing I mean the the what was happening with right, the, characters the characters was very right. difficult it um, is and and you know, and I think of John Granger talking of it. It totally re reminded me of the soul triptych again because when John Granger talks about that in relation to Harry Potter, you know what he says is the most painful and difficult parts of that story are not necessarily the scariest or the most dangerous. It's when the the three of them aren't working together. So mm -hmm. the really difficult and depressing parts in Harry Potter are when uh, Harry refuses to talk to his friends about what he's going through in Order of the Phoenix. Like, he's in a depression and a fog, and he blocks them out. And so the whole unit suffers because of that. Or, right. or if Hermione takes over and starts telling Harry what to do. Or if Ron just abandons them and leaves for half of Deathly Hallows and they're you know, trying to go without him. But those are the moments when you really feel the difficulty, even more so than facing a particular 
you know, villain or something. Um, and that's really what this reminded me of. Like the the what was uh, the challenge in this in this episode isn't really the monsters or the magic. It's them turning on each other. Um, yeah. And I kind of feel like in a way it's almost the opposite of when she was bad. Um, and I think we can talk about whether Willow and Xander have, you know, how much of what they have to say might be valid too. I'm not saying it's a totally one-sided thing, but I feel like in when she was bad, it, it was Buffy who was more not acting in her proper fashion. She wasn't being Buffy. She was trying to be something, you know, a disturbance within the the, the universe, so, you know, the Buffyverse. Whereas this time, I feel like the problem is from the bottom up. It was them, you know, and maybe for legitimate reasons, but for them not trusting her and not, uh, you know, understanding her and sort of, you know, not really willing to accept her once she comes back from, you know, where she's been over the summer. So in any case, I don't know whether you agree with any of that, but I think it makes for a really kind of depressing episode. It's just horrible to see them at each other like this. Um, sure. A so. depressing episode. Although, you know, so as not to depress all of our listeners at the yeah. same time, like we should acknowledge that it does sort of seem to work itself out by the end. It's so yeah, if the, the does it, I guess. Well, I, okay. And, 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 and we it can, does. it does, we, but we can talk I, about that. Yeah. I, so, I question whether those issues aren't going to come back up because I don't know that they really, I think it's all forgiven at the end, but I don't know that it's resolved necessarily. Well, I don't okay. know. Yeah. And we can get into that. The, the, the sort of analysis. So if we're looking at, um, you know, Buffy and Willow and Xander as a single unit, this is like, and they're out of alignment. This is like, the chiropractic adjustment episode, right? This is, we need to get back into alignment and, and, and get working together again. And interesting the, the, that you see this sort of as an inversion of the, um, when she was bad, because I, and this may be a really interesting conversation because I, you, you seem to be placing more fault maybe fault isn't quite the right word, but, but more of the blame anyway at um, Willow and Xander than at, with Buffy. And I think I would do the opposite. I, I guess I would see this as more of a parallel to when she was bad. Than, and than I think some to. of it, some of it is parallel. Like the fact that Buffy leaves and that that's really, if that that's yeah. the catalyst for it. And I, and I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that she's, right and they're wrong or that they don't have legitimate um questions or complaints yeah Yeah. or or criticism but i am leaning with buffy on this one and and i uh, you know what bothers me sure no i don't and this is and this is the main reason why i'm well i mean i think there's a lot I have little, 
I have little patience for these friends who will stand her up for a for a shopping trip and then complain that she wasn't she won't talk to them. So that seems like a double sure. Standard. Although you know, no, I, I get what you're saying. So so Willow, I don't think it was a shopping trip, was it? It was or a whatever they for coffee, whatever yeah. they were going to do something, which is what they end up doing together. at the end. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is kind of why I see that end scene as being a sign that no, every problem in the world isn't resolved, of course, but at least like you were saying that I think there's been a lot forgiven or at least to the point where things are going to be okay. If they're not quite yet. I think Um, so too. But I, I agree with, I I agree with you now. I have an, I have a, wait, but I have another, so that's point one. My other main, okay. Okay. My other main thing is it it bothers me that given how clearly they can see that she's still upset and, you know, whatever, nobody's brought up Angel. And I find this annoying because they have enough information at this point to figure out what might have happened like they know the world didn't end so you know and giles knows that angel's blood is needed to close the portal so they could kind of presume that he had to be killed you know and they know he's not with her so they know his soul wasn't restored and he somehow escaped and willow seems fairly confident that something happened with the soul given the magic i think if they thought about it they could sit down and put their heads together and realize what it is that buffy is so traumatized about and i think she deserves is she blameless should she you know is she at fault for having left them with no word yeah but i think she deserves more um understanding than what she's being offered and and the end the fact that they're avoiding her and not letting giving her the opportunity to hash any of this out is uh puts me more firmly on her side than on theirs in this particular case so that's my case for buffy sure sure may i respond uh, by point (laughs) yes yes okay so to the first point and i think this one i'll i'll make my counterpoint uh very succinctly Willow does say that she tried to call. She 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 says that she got held up and that she tried to call and mm-hmm. she was sorry. So mm-hmm. while I I don't think it stood up in the way of you just she didn't yeah you know just didn't show up without an explanation. Now we don't get a real explanation as to what's there, so we don't really know the validity of why. Mm-hmm. And Buffy never asked, so maybe that's not even important anyway. So, yeah. so that's the one thing I will say to that is she may have had a very legitimate reason. She may not have. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But at least we do know that she says that she tried to call, mm-hmm. and and you know to cancel. And and when she gets home, you know Joyce does say Willow called. So there does seem to be some legitimacy there to the fact that she didn't show up. I think one of the concerns in that instance is something that we can sort of see Buffy um, the night before because Buffy kind of coerces Willow into that meeting to begin with. 
right the yeah. night before when they're at Giles's house and and well, you know, Xander is like, well, you know, he kind of uses Cordy as an excuse to not hang out with Buffy yeah. and Cordy kind of playfully like, oh, you wish, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. like, clearly they're together and maybe had plans, maybe didn't. But for whatever reason, Xander yeah. doesn't want to be with Buffy. So then Buffy turns to Willow and kind of cajoles her mm-hmm. as someone that she knows isn't going to give in or who is going to give in. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Willow does say, well, OK, maybe I can make some time, you know, even yeah. though I already had plans. So where you're willing to see, you know, Willow as standing Buffy up, I'm also sort of, I guess, presenting Buffy as someone who's, you know, kind of yes. not being the greatest friend herself in this moment. Because, yeah, well, you know, no, because I think she, they make it clear that Willow doesn't really want to go. Um, but then, well, or that the timing isn't even right. Like, I, right? See, because I don't, I don't know that I would say that Willow doesn't want to go. It's she already, she said she already had thing at that particular time. It, yeah. But instead of Buffy saying, "Well, what's a better time for you?" She mm-hmm. said she right. she, she tries to, her into it. Right. She tries to get her to meet at that specific time that Buffy wants. So yeah, I, I think I well, and I think throughout this episode, I would say that we're maybe on opposite sides of the fence, but mm-hmm. we're so close to the fence that we can like, you know, yeah. shake hands across it. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like I don't, I don't think we're that far away from kind of our viewpoints here. The other, No, the second, I don't think, I don't think either of us is calling, putting one in the right and one no, in the no. wrong. I, you know? I think there's definitely blame on both sides. You know, you can, it may just be a chicken and egg problem. Who do you see as being the first the to, root cause, you know, yeah, yeah. offend is, and does and how far back does that go? Does right. it go back to Buffy leaving town? Does mm-hmm. it go back to something earlier even than that? So yeah. you know, I guess yes, I I see what you're saying. I I would I would sort of make those caveats. Um, your second point I think is is very well taken. Uh, the you're right. The other people in the Scooby group are not dumb, you know, like they can recognize, we can understand why Xander wouldn't really be thinking about Angel Mm -hmm. and the things that, you know, are going on or not going on with Angel. Right. Right. Giles and Willow might. Yeah. I think Giles plays a separate part though. We'll get to Giles. Okay. I think, I think you're right though, from Willow's point of view as the brain. (laughs) Yes. Um, you know, that she she should be able to figure out what is going on there. Um, I If I had anything to say in defense, and maybe in defense is even the right word, but sort of to Willow's point, though, she did, and the Scoobies in general did, take up a lot of the slack yeah, in sure. fighting the vampires and stuff when Buffy left. So, and and as she points out in their, in Buffy's bedroom, when they're having the conversation there, you know, she does have other things going on now. She has a boyfriend. Yeah. She has, um, you know, this witchcraft that she's been, you know, taking up with and, and yeah, she hasn't made those connections or even been around to sort of listen to what Buffy has to say on things. But n- some of that's just natural life stuff, as she puts it. You know, it's mm-hmm. just it's it's the stuff she's going through. So, is that an excuse? I don't know. Like, I I, I don't know. I, like, 
But I think you're right. I think that that's definitely something that she perhaps could have or should have noticed, and and that contributes to the problem. And um, I and it, I would definitely agree. And it's not that those aren't legitimate things. I just think they take some of the weight out of her criticisms of Buffy. You know, it it's not that she doesn't have right. It 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 lacks the force that it would because you know because we know. Buffy's side of it too um and that it's not I I I think Willow and Xander are acting a little more self-righteous than they maybe have cause to and it's not that they don't have legitimate claims um but I just felt yeah I, I felt like Buffy was just trying to survive the barrage of criticism from these two who are not being as sensitive as they you know, as they maybe could be. Um, well, and so. it's, and there's a, an escalating effect yeah. throughout the episode. Yeah. You're right. Which so, is, it gets increasingly more difficult and, and angry and yeah. And not, not just, I mean, I know we're talking about the triptych still, so I, I won't get into, but I think with Joyce as well, it, yeah. there's, there's an escalation going on there um, throughout the episode with her. So we will get to her, but um, I think, well, and, and it's fun. so Xander, you know, is the first of the Scoobies to see her back. And, mm-hmm. like, he's scared and angry kind of yeah. when he sees her. Like, yeah. It's, yeah. he's not, like, he's not the happy, um, like, in in when she was bad. She, mm-hmm. he, he, he's not this, like, oh, yay, Buffy's back, you know, yeah. good times. <laughs> like, yeah, are no, here to stay. Xander's starting to develop some really complicated feelings towards a lot of things i think um mm-hmm. maybe he yeah. doesn't even know how he feels about stuff yeah yeah i don't i mean it, yeah i don't know i don't know what to what to say about xander at this point other than than i think you're right is i mean <sighs> he's he doesn't handle things well <laughs> no um, no and, no and, and and i think more what what I was getting angry at him about was not even that he didn't have legitimate points, but Xander, Joyce is trying, Buffy and Joyce are trying to have a discussion. Get your big mouth out of it. You know, that it butting his way into, so for him, it wasn't even, you know, a matter of what he might, what legitimate, you know, comments he might be able to make as much as, it almost felt like he was waiting for the opportunity to say the stuff that he's been oh, yeah. probably boiling over over the course of the summer, you know, right, stuff that right. he's been sort of dwelling on. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think that's pretty, that seems pretty clear to me that that's the case. Like he's, yeah, he has been like almost where he maybe fantasized about having a relationship with Buffy before. <laughs> like right. now he's been fantasizing about how he can, tell her off yeah yeah yeah, like uh when she gets back so yeah i think you're right and i think there is a certain obsessiveness to it um and the and you're right uh, with the fact that he does jump in not just with joyce but then you know with willow and is like let her have a turn to say you know like yeah it's like well who appointed you (laughs) you know right master of ceremonies over this beat down yeah um yeah, and and it's not it's not a very good thing. 
Um, certainly. No. I think... Um, no, it didn't feel... Uh, which is, to my point about, is it resolved at the end? I agree that it's... That, that things are forgiven and they seem to be um, back to normal, as everyone keeps saying in the episode, as they just want to get back to normal. But um, mm. I think if it didn't feel resolved for me, it's because this this the argument didn't feel like maybe maybe for Buffy and Willow it did it it had more of that feeling of like a fight that needed to happen like you know the cathartic okay we we aired our grievances and now we can mm-hmm. move on type thing whereas between Xander and Buffy it didn't feel healthy in that way it felt like a lot of pent up anger that i don't know that it's you know, now the fight breaks out and now I got your back and we're like, we're good as long as we don't have to talk about our issues. Like when we can just fight zombies together. Mm. But I, I don't know that those feelings are necessarily resolved. And I wonder whether they'll come back up because, you know, I don't know. That was more my feeling. Was it between them? It was starting to get pretty nasty and dirty before the zombies interrupted um right so you kind of wonder what what other thoughts are in there you know where might that go in the future yeah although we did get oz's stepping in we did, just yeah. before the zombie attack too to be referee guy yeah and, yeah and that's good they need a guy like that i think yeah i think that was yeah that was a good move on his part certainly and and you know willow's sarcastic maybe violence will solve it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, does violence solve anything? You know, and that's that's sort of the the advantage, right, of having undead people come crashing into your house is that yeah. you can solve it, so to speak, with violence and yet not be attacking your friend, right? It's, yeah. it's a pull-together yeah. moment. Well, and it a, forces them to work as a team rather yeah. than turn on each other. Yeah. I mean... There also may be, you know, and we don't necessarily think of Xander as the, you know, alpha male type, but there is sort of that difference between male and female uh, ways of resolving things. I mean, I've seen it with people I've known where, you know, two guys get into a fight and then afterwards they are best friends, you know, sure. it's, yeah. it's, and I mean, obviously Buffy is not a guy, but she does seem to handle a lot of things in a violent <laughs> manner yeah. as yeah. gets, you know, talked about. And, and right. And it might be that their relationship is more of a buddy one that could bear that kind of, you know, angry outburst. And then it's all forgotten the next day, you know? Yeah. And well, and I think one of the, well, and so there's, there's two points I guess, I guess I would make. One is if we're looking at Xander as the body, that mm-hmm. would totally be the way yeah. that he would resolve things, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's one aspect of it. Uh, yeah, so maybe I'm wrong. I mean, for him, that could be totally healthy. And <laughs> maybe that is yeah. a way of resolving his issues, is to just vent about it. And then, well, then and you're venting, over it. And, and venting in a way in which he's supporting Buffy. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's what it ends up being. Like, I think it is. An, I'm, I don't mean to say that it's healthy when they're going like about to throw punches at each other. Cause yeah. I don't think that's healthy. But when, when the zombies do come through, I think for Xander, that does become a way that he can get out the aggression that he's yeah. clearly been feeling 
since the first minute he saw Buffy. Yeah. And almost like staked her. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so I think I think if we're looking at it from from that perspective, it, it, as his role in the body, then you know that might be a good way to do that. Um, there was another point I was going to make, and now I can't remember <laughs> what it was beyond that. Um, I did want to say though, like in, in talk mode, like, you know, there's sort of a lot of jokes, uh, about Xander's making jokes, right. Um, mm. you know, the fact that he does make jokes, but we get to see here, like his wit can turn pretty acerbic, Oh yeah. uh, you know, yeah. like it, 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 that joke making ability becomes very, and, and, you know, again, I think that that's, that's an interesting, and I think, um, I've known people like that who can be really funny, but then also can turn that same sort of wit into a, a really caustic, you know, yeah, sort the, of, the, uh, the line about what are we going to talk about pimps and how she ruined our lives? Like that yeah. kind of, well that, and even just in when, when he's, when they're at the party and, and having it out in the living room there, like it's, yeah. you know, it's not, I don't have a specific um, line in mind, but I, you know, there's just a number of times where he, you, you know, he's going on and, and, and there's, uh, I, I wish I could, I wish I could pull out a line here, but um, I wrote <laughs> I know, down like most of the conversation, mean. but um, yeah, anyway. So, so yeah, so I, I don't know that, um, I, you know, obviously things are always going to sort of be up in the air, right? We've, we've talked mm -hmm. about becoming and things mm -hmm. are always sort of in flux. So yeah. um, I think we're meant to sort of see at the end with Willow and Buffy sort of calling each other names and things. Yeah. Like, yes, there's sort of an undertone of of what just happened there. But I think we're also taking supposed to take that sort of good naturedly yeah and and you know when they are done attacking and everyone kind of hugs and stuff i think we are supposed to to see that as some sort of resolution to mm -hmm. all of the problems that go on um yeah so yeah i don't know yeah I, at we'll, least we'll, we'll at see. least of these imme immediate issues of of what happened over the summer um right and buffy's leaving and yeah. And and you're right. Like at the end of the episode, we still don't know uh how much the Scoobies know about what happened to Angel. So, yeah. and and Buffy even like while she was fighting him or whatever. Um Yeah. So, there's there's still there's still a lot to be sort of revealed there. Mm -hmm. Um I I want to talk about Giles here sort of in yeah. contrast to the rest of them and yeah. and again i would say not just willow and sander but also to joyce mm -hmm. because i think giles is somewhat subtle here but his support here um almost mirrors what we see in um surprise and innocence mm. and the support that he gives her there uh especially i think most notably portrayed in his sort of moment of relief and thankfulness that he has quietly in the kitchen. Yeah. It's not about confronting Buffy. It's not even about yep. like, like he doesn't quote break face with her right yep. there. It's just, he 
goes off and kind of has his moment and then comes back. And he also, when they're talking, when the, when the Scoobies are sort of talking about stuff just in general, mm-hmm. Buffy or Giles, I mean, is the one who says, well, you know what? Maybe Buffy just needs some time yeah. to readjust or to think about or, you know, whatever. Like, so I think that's interesting because yeah, I, think, no, I, loved, I think it, I loved him in this. I, I think it could be overlooked, you know, yeah. with all of the other more vibrant, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. virulent stuff going on um, that his that his character here is really one of support. Yeah. Um, yeah. And. You know, I mean, he's not there, obviously, when all the fighting begins. But why is that? It's because he's off, you know, doing research mode. He's he's being a library guy. Yeah, and, and not that he and Buffy won't ever have conflict. But I can't imagine that if he was there, that he would be ganging up on her with the rest. Right. I, well, think he you... would, I think he would be, in this instance, I think he'd be the one, either with Oz playing Peacemaker or supporting her and saying, you know... Even if you have legitimate claims, back off. You know, yeah. that's kind of where I see him. Right, and you almost feel from. like it never would have gotten to that level. Like yeah. he, I mean, who knows if he would have kicked out the whole like party right. and everything? Yeah. But yeah. like, you you feel like it wouldn't have gotten to that point if if right. he had been there. Um, right, right. Well, and he's the only one advocating a small dinner. You know, right. it's the rest yeah. of them saying. We want to hide behind the crowd so we don't have to face any of this. You yeah, know? that that's interesting because, well, that was my of, interpretation anyway. Yeah, I, I I sort of peeked at your notes and and saw that <laughs> that you're um that you're interpreting that way, and that's honestly that's something I hadn't really considered. I sort of took it at face value of of they did want to throw her a big welcome back party like this mm-hmm. is. This is, uh, uh, you know, we're glad to have you back. And, and that's sort of what Willow says. Passive aggressively in mm-hmm. a way, right? Yeah. Like she's she's saying, no, everything's fine. Yeah. I'm fine. You're fine. We're yeah. here. This is a I'm, party. What's the problem? I'm not <laughs> avoiding you and then runs away. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. So, but yeah, like I, I guess the the very setup of having a hootenanny Mm-hmm. rather than a gathering or even a shindig. Yeah. Um you know is is And maybe and maybe that's over cuz I don't like big parties. I hate them. So maybe sure. that's me reading into them as <laughs> as evil things when maybe some people would actually like a big party. So I suppose I could put myself in someone else's shoes, but uh I think well, for and me they sort personally, of I see I see Giles advocating the small party as as his way of saying let's keep it intimate and simple. And the others, you know, which is evidenced by the fact that they do spend the party avoiding her. They're they're Cordy and or Xander are her. all with like. each other, or or Willow is clearly just wants to watch Oz, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and. But then judge her for not enjoying that. So that's, again, part of my problem with them. But um, that's how I took Giles, you know. And I think, I mean, the other, I definitely picked up on that moment, too, where he just sort of 
doesn't make a fuss, but just has a quiet moment by himself where you can tell how much it means to him that she's back. Um, and also, you know, that they're about to end, they're about to knock on the door and Buffy's worried about what Giles is going to say, how she might have let him down. And Xander throws her under the bus and says, you know, oh, he'll probably, you know, I forget the line, but it's something like he's going to, he lists all the reasons why Giles could yeah. be furious with her. And then, mm. and she's terrified. And then he opens the door and it's just welcome home. Yeah, and that's, and home. that is an echo of that moment in the car. It's not about what's the laundry list of how you screwed up. It's just quiet support. Um, mm. Especially, you know, there might be a time and place for criticism, but this isn't it. Um, right. This is a time right. for just appreciating that you're back. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I love Giles in this. I was, <laughs> I, and I love, love, loved his line about, it isn't my mask pretty. It raises the dead Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, and, and of course we see, well, I was going to mention the whole Snyder thing, but we'll get to Snyder later, mm, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, speaking yeah. Of, so speaking of quiet support, <laughs> I, I would, I, so I would definitely set up Giles as that. Um, I don't know. Foil, maybe the right yeah. word. Although usually typically think of that as a more like humorous comedic type thing. But I think definitely in, a, yeah. uh, uh, you know, in this respect, he, he, he set against, all of the others, really, mm-hmm. in this in this episode, uh, you know, with the exception of Cordy and Oz, maybe. Yeah. Um, Cord- <laughs> I love when Cordy tries to wear Buffy's shoes. Yeah, get out <laughs> of my shoes. Like, get out of my shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you um, know, this is Cordy trying to be sympathetic. Uh, what? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's. Cordy being honest about how she sees things, yeah. which yeah. is definitely not the way that everyone else does. Yeah. Um, even the person she's trying to defend. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but you do appreciate, <coughs> you appreciate the sentiment from Cordy at least. Yeah. But Cordy and Oz don't have as deep a relationship with Buffy, which is also why they're not as offended by her, you know, mm. that, they don't take it personally if she leaves because they don't have, they're not in the soul triptych. You know, they're, they're friends, but they're not quite at that central level, I think. Yeah, um, well, it's that whole, it's the whole thing where, you know, you hurt the ones who love you. Right? Yeah, like absolutely, it's, it, yeah. It, and it's because they love you that they can be hurt. Yeah. So it's, it, it does sort of boil down to that. Yeah. Um, uh, so... So Joyce, you also want to contrast Giles to Joyce. Yeah, I'm just trying to think, do we want to talk about Buffy and and Joyce um, at this point? Or was there more to say about Buffy and Willow and Xander? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other thing, the only other thing that I would say here is that I would go back to actually something that you kept pointing out. Oh, really? About... About Jenny. Uh-huh. In, well, sort of. But, all, I mean, others have done this before. And uh-huh. it's it's the the not talking 
It's the mm, yeah. doing things, going off on your own yeah. and, and refusing to let others even know what you're doing. Yeah. And that's, Willow sort of enunciates that a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, but it's funny because even in, in the room there where Buffy and Willow are talking and, and, and before Joyce comes in and sort of elevates things to another level, mm-hmm. like you almost feel like Buffy and Willow could have could have started to work yeah. out, you <laughs> yeah. know, things yeah. if Joyce hadn't walked in yeah. and seen that stupid bag on the bed. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but Buffy just leaves, right? She just leaves town at the end of the second season there at the end yeah. of becoming part two. And, you know, she just goes on a bus, doesn't tell anyone where she's going, or what she's doing. She's been yeah. gone for months. Yeah. Um, no, and, and she's it, and definitely even, guilty of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I'm not trying to necessarily lay her blame on there because obviously there are reasons why she left. And she felt like she couldn't talk to people. And that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. you can get that. But, but like, I... I even like I hear Willow in saying that, like, you know, Willow's starting to talk about like, you know, maybe I don't need to understand what you were going through. Maybe I just needed you to talk to me. And then and then, you know, Buffy is like, well, you know, I understand that you were worried about me. And, and Willow's like, that's not even it. Like, yeah, it's still like you're still focusing on you. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I wanted to talk to you or do you talk to me because yeah. I'm going through stuff, too. But, like, even in saying that, like, I've always had this sort of problem with, like, people who say, you're being selfish by not paying attention to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's yeah. it's both sides of the coin there. Like, yeah. they're talking at each other and not yeah. to each other or or listening to yeah. each other. Um, and, and so that, that would be, like, even, even when their mouths are moving, they're not telling each other, you know, what's really going on. So, yeah. like, at least in that moment they're not so they're getting there I, I think again i feel like if joyce hadn't walked in at the most inopportune time <laughs> you know right uh, they could have got further yeah maybe they could have gotten further you know but willow even says like this is hard it's not easy and it's you know the willingness to just run away again but like you pointed out willow walked away you know in the party she was standing there right in front of the band where she couldn't hear Buffy talking and and didn't move like if that happens and you really wanted to talk to someone Mm -hmm. you you would be the one to say oh let's go over here Mm -hmm. not make them do it you know what I mean like yeah which is what Buffy ultimately does is you know she leaves and goes away and then she says no I'm gonna you know not says but goes over and kind of pulls Willow away so so I think you're right like like there definitely is both sides there but but I think it goes back to that that not really telling people like that, that being ready to go off on your own and not Mm -hmm. work together that we've talked about in relation to other things, uh, as well, that, that is unfortunate and causes a lot of problems and pain. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be sort of the only other thing I would say about. Yeah, no, I hadn't, I wasn't thinking about Jenny, but that's definitely... A, a root cause of a lot of the trouble that these guys well, were and, into. Is, and, is and I just say Jenny, sharing. right. Yeah. I was just saying Jenny, because I think that's the most sort of obvious example, because that's the one yeah. where you were like, just tell someone what you're doing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I think that that can be seen in. Well, and, like, and Xander not telling, 
not telling Buffy that Willow was trying with the with the soul again and stuff. So that's definitely a right. a repeated meme. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and I think it goes to support your soul triptych theory. Um that when they do talk to each other and they do work together, that it becomes, you know, something more powerful that yeah. they can accomplish together. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So let's talk about Joyce because okay. we, we've got five minutes left. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we should just call this thing what it is and just say, we're going to talk longer about everything every time. <laughs> I know. Um, anyway, so Joyce, okay, she brings some art home from the gallery, and uh-huh. it doesn't work out so well. No, no. Um, <laughs> it's angry at the room. It, it wants, it the, wants room the room to suffer. To suffer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah. that, and there we have, then there's zombies, and that's all good. Yeah. Um, no, I think, I think it's interesting. So I brought up the escalation, and I think we can see that with, the Scooby somewhat. I think it, we see it more with Joyce and that would be the, the thing that I would focus on with her is the, you know, now she's, she's trying, she's like overcompensating mm, for yeah. having reacted badly, which she admits yeah. to here. Right. Um, when they do finally blow up, uh, you know, the bad reaction being when she tells Buffy, if she leaves to never come back. So now she's like overcompensating being, super nice letting Buffy go out any, you know, whenever she wants, just, yeah. you know, offering to make her many meals and, yeah, and doing those sort of, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the sort of mom things um, that they do when they're feeling guilty maybe, or, you yeah. know, overly protective or something. Um, and, and I love the, the <laughs> attempt to like casually talk about Buffy being a slayer. Will yeah. you be slaying tonight? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. only if they give me lip yeah um no and and you can tell it's forced like you yeah. can just you know you just like you know that this isn't um you know how she really feels but she's trying to be the good mother she's trying yeah. to trust her daughter yeah no i mean i think she gets points for effort if nothing else you know um but then you sort of quickly see the cracks yeah. starting to form. Yeah. So, like, like you can see her exasperation when Buffy expresses disappointment at the possibility of going to a private school. Yeah. Um, and and whatever. And then that that part where she, like, snaps and sort of just says, you know, you made some bad decisions. And now you have to face consequences. And that almost seems to sum up the whole episode yeah. right for buff from buffy's point of view is yeah. these con- and whether the consequences she faces are fair or not right, right. they are yeah definitely uh, at least in part brought about by that decision she made to leave town yeah um, even no, and i and i took that as actually a good point you know because yeah. i mean buffy may have had reasons and they may be legitimate but it was a little dose of reality there to say things, you know, your fault or not, things aren't going to magically go back to right the way you want them to be. And like it or not, you're going to have to live with the way things are now. Um, yeah. And it's no good wishing it they weren't true. You know, there are right. certain things that 
mom can go to the principal for you, but if he won't let her in, you're going to have to find something else. Right. There's only so much that can be done to, to repair that damage. And, yeah. and, and I think it's interesting too. sort of, there, there's some discussions about intent in this, in this episode versus action. Right. Mm. So there's, um, you, you know, like when they do have the blow up and, you know, they're in the living room there. Joyce talks about Buffy punishing her for, you know, by running away and, yeah. and, and for whatever. And, and Buffy's like, well, it, that's not what happened. Like, that's not why I did that. Yeah. And Xander points out, yes, very rudely and, and whatever, but I think it's a legitimate point mm. that regardless of your intent, you did punish yeah. other people for, Whatever, like what, like they still don't know the reason why Buffy left, yeah. right? Like yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. they're still not like whatever you did, you did put your mother through this, and and Xander himself feels like he was now, you know, whether his whole summer was ruined because right. of it, you right. know, like his I, life was ruined. That, that yeah, yeah, seems yeah, yeah. to be, yeah. you know, a little overly dramatic, whatever. Right, but but, but I, Buffy, what <clears throat> she does for her own reasons has consequences for other people. Well, and, and I was going to say, and, and then Willow also talks about, um, you know, Buffy has that line where, where she's saying, you know, every day I wanted to call. And Willow says, well, but you didn't. And and the fact that you didn't doesn't make up for you not doing it. <laughs> like yeah, the yeah. fact that you wanted to doesn't make up for you not picking up the phone. And And I think that's a really interesting aspect of it, too. And that's something that. You know, you can talk about like the road to hell is paved with good intentions mm-hmm. or not, but I think there's there's like there's a more almost uh, you know prosaic or whatever like version of that that's playing out here. That it's it's not the road to hell, but it's it you know step by step. You can want to do something, but if you don't do it, if you don't pick up the phone, if you don't talk about your feelings, if you don't reach out to the person in the way that maybe they want you to reach out. Like it's, it's a, you know, putting yourself in their shoes, mm-hmm. not in the way that Cordy does, <laughs> but like, but actually stopping and thinking and saying, Oh, you know what? Maybe she is going through a lot of stuff. And what, what is it that she needs from me mm-hmm. rather than saying, you should have picked up the phone to call me to ask me about the things that I'm going through, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. like on all sides, I'm not just saying, that so anyway i that was kind of a long way from from you know what joy says but i i think that sort of goes hand in hand with Mm -hmm. the consequences aspect of it is is some of the consequences is even like i think part of the reason why buffy has has some trouble adjusting and and the others as well but but i would say buffy mostly because she's the one who leaves town yeah (laughs) um you know part of the consequences that she's facing is because she's saying, I did this for these reasons. And part of the not communicating her reasons or thoughts leads others to believe that she's doing it for, for other things or sure. that they're the ones being punished. And and yeah. when that's not even why Buffy did anything. Um, right, right. And those conclusions may be perfectly reasonable for those people who don't have the insight to Buffy's own emotions that she may or may not have herself. Like she even says, I don't right. know. Right. And I'm I doing. think, I think as we, we as the audience, and this is me, I, you know, I think it's easy to identify with Buffy because we have watched her. We know what she's going through. We know right. what happened. Whereas if you do 
think about it from Willow's point of view. You know, if she put more thought into it, could she maybe put more information together? Yeah, probably, but you are dealing with a limited perspective. She only has what she knows. She only has her own experience. So, right. well, it, and, it, and no yeah, matter what, she's not dealing with a fraction of the information that we have. Right. And no matter what, even if she had the information, that doesn't mean she knows how Buffy's feeling. Yeah. The only way she could have the information about how Buffy's feeling is if Buffy t- tells her honestly yeah. how she's feeling. Yeah. And that like, like even if Willow knew all about what happened with Angel and the final mm-hmm. moments of that, you know, thing, yeah, she might be she might be able to figure out uh, how Buffy could be feeling, but even that requires Buffy's confirmation to say yes, this yeah. is how I'm feeling. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So, so there's still that aspect of your intent doesn't really matter in those instances. It's what you do, and what you did was leave and be incommunicado mm-hmm. yeah. for you know however many months. Anyway. Um, but I get your point. Like it, you know, about Buffy, the same can be said for the others too, right? Like, not that, I mean, Giles was the only one actively going out and looking for her, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, and, and you know, maybe Willow and Xander had limited, limited means or whatever, like, you know, yeah, maybe they weren't able to go out looking for her, but they weren't calling around that we know of they weren't like out there looking for her they were they were doing what they could on the patrolling aspect but it's not like it's not like they were necessarily you know beating the streets of la or whatever you know right trying to find buffy so um yeah who who, who knows like complicated situation i think definitely is all Um, right and one one sorry go ahead I was going to say Joyce has a really annoying friend. That's all I have yeah. to say about Before that. Before we get to Pat, though, I want to just say, uh-huh. I'm I'm disappointed in Joyce for letting that party happen. Right? Yeah, that surprised me that she didn't have any negative words about that. Like, not even a attempt at. Yeah, like, like not even doesn't... a not even a failed attempt at trying to kick them out. <laughs> yeah. It, she knows Buffy's getting out the good company plates and stuff. Like, and then she's just going to let, like, a bunch of teenagers come in and crash her house. And apparently the teenagers are doing shots. Right. You know, like, in her living room. Like, well, okay. Well, she's in the kitchen drinking well, shots. While she's in the kitchen <laughs> drinking, yeah, with, with her friend. Um, so, I don't know. I don't, like, Okay. I guess she's a way looser parent than my parents were. And I, <laughs> um, I would almost want to put that as the same thing as like the others wanting to not confront the issue and hiding behind. Okay. Yeah, well, but then she's the one who organized the party. So that doesn't right. really, but maybe she just doesn't want to be alone with Buffy in the house. You know, it's, yeah, let's have I, I some people over who cares if it's five or 50 as long as Buffy and I aren't alone having to have these difficult conversations you know it might be that kind of 
Yeah, it could be. She's just hiding herself in the back and and not really paying attention. But, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like a very mom thing to do. Um. I don't know. I, I... I don't find that wholly plausible. Yeah, I guess, is yeah, no, where I'll, I'll I, leave it. I can see that. Um, but anyway, the party apparently happens, and and we do all this, um, and and of course Buffy overhears the conversation. Yeah, the of course part she of hears the out of context and the worst possible bit of it. You know, right? Um, so you know, as, as is, always happened. <laughs> Right, that is what it is. Um, and I, so, all right, so Pat. Yeah. Well, all right. <laughs> what can we say about Pat? Um, meets Joyce at a book club. She's not a very nice person. No. I don't think. Um, no. The things that she, like, no, she doesn't say a, a lot to Buffy. There's a mean spirit hiding behind a false smile, I think. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't say a lot to Buffy, and what she does say is is just very snide and backhanded. Yep. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't say I'm too sorry that she's I was going to say, can I say I'm a little glad she gets zombified at the end? <laughs> um, I wasn't sorry to see her go. And I think, yeah. I think Buffy got a little thrill out of stabbing her in the face with the... Yeah. With the rake or whatever she had. The shovel was it or something? The shovel or something, yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it was because what they used to bury the cat. Oh, I see. It's the garden shovel. Okay. Um, So, so anyway, the, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what to say about Pat other than that. She didn't seem like a very good influence. And, and you wonder how much of, well, she says, I took it upon myself, mm. you know, to watch Joyce yeah. uh, when Buffy was gone. So, uh, well, when she says, oh, when, you know, you, when you were off and away or whatever yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or what have you. Uh, it's like, come on, lady. Really? Um, yeah, she's and, a leech. And, and, she's and a you leech. wonder, like, yeah, did, did she really help or did she no. exacerbate the problem? No, no. I think this is someone who thrives <laughs> on... Ladies at the book club who have and emotional drama. drama. Yeah. 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 I wonder how much longer Joyce will be in that book club. <laughs> um, but anyway, well, certainly Pat won't be in it any yeah. longer. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. We yeah. didn't spend any more time on Pat. <laughs> um, but we should talk about Snyder. Yes. Before we hop off into yeah. the artist. Yeah, so Snyder is persisting in not letting Buffy back into mm. the school, which he believes he has the right and the ability to do. Um, and he tingles with pleasure whenever he thinks about it. <laughs> yeah, isn't that kind of gross? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, super gross when you, he tells her, you know, you'd look great in the outfit at whatever, like, the fast food The hot dog hut place. or whatever yeah, it was, yeah. 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 Um yeah, and I you know funny about Snyder. Yeah, and he says that in front of her mom too. I know. Like that's just kind of weird. Um Yeah, and you don't know if he's if he like really thinks Buffy would look cute in that outfit or if he's just such 
a jerk that he's just saying stuff to sort of get at her. I think you know it's, I mean? that, it's like, that like, oh, you know, go enjoy your life of minimum wage because I'm kicking you out of high school. Right. That's what he's saying, you know. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about your suspicions um, with Snyder's connections within the city government. Mm, right. We get, yeah, yeah. we get another mention of the mayor mm-hmm. here any yep. thoughts on that or any any no just more confirmation of that there's something going on that okay. you know it would be interesting if joyce does go to the mayor so yeah. i don't know what he means by that and what may have but there's there's something uh there's there's a hidden meeting in there somewhere he's having a little private in joke with himself of some sort um so you know whether that means that you know oh smirk smirk secretly the mayor is on my side so it could just be some sort of a villain or i don't know does that suggest that the mayor is you know one of the monsters supernatural in some way like wouldn't that be interesting like what that could be anything from like a corrupt governor to a vampire running the city or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I don't know yet what that implies, but something. Okay. Something interesting. Something, something interesting. Yeah. And it's so. Well, and then we get the the twist of the conversation, right? When then Giles comes. Yeah. Later. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and Giles seems able to push him around and threaten him into yeah yeah well and and you get the so and we've seen before like giles certainly has connections Mm -hmm. beyond sunnydale yeah um i thought it was interesting that joyce um was thinking so sort of provincially uh you know i'll go all the way to the mayor oh Mm -hmm. the mayor yeah you go all the way to the mayor and i just um (laughs) You know, and I get, you know, okay, small town, you know, California, I guess that might solve some issues. But Giles, you know, is quoting like state Supreme Court mm-hmm. and, and reminding Snyder that he's, you know, a slightly somewhat good sized fish in a very small pond, you know, yeah. like yeah. Giles knows people who knows people. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way could kind of do some convincing on his own it seems well and that's the other thing is you know that seems as much to make as much of an impact as anything else is yeah is not even like the the you know friends he has but you know just when he straight up physically imposes upon him you mm-hmm. know kind of pushes him against the file yeah. cabinets there and yeah, a little, um, a little bit of ripper coming out <laughs> for yeah, a second. Yeah. Well, and we got so there was another moment too in the car where he hot wires the car. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It, it is just like riding a bloody bicycle. <laughs> uh, you you kind of get the sense that that was a ripper moment as well. Yeah. A little <laughs> bit of his street smart coming out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so some interesting stuff there. Well, we'll we'll have to see where that leads us okay anyway um anything else on these characters or situations here before we jump into i think that's all i have 
Alrighty. Well then, let's move on to uh, Doctor Who and and the family and yeah. human nature. Yeah. Um, and I believe you wanted to start out with some production notes yes. here, just real I just quick, sort of setting it up. Quick to set it up. Um, so these these episodes. This is a two parter, obviously, because it ends. How yeah, and I was angry because you didn't prepare uh, me for that. I usually do. And, well, sometimes <laughs> I don't know whether you want to know whether it's a two-parter, but maybe I should tell you when. Well, it, when I think it is. I think in this case, I should have. I I was totally not expecting it. Okay, and 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 I don't. I mean, I know that there's usually a couple two-parters in a season, mm-hmm. but it seems like the other one. Now I realize it's. It was several episodes ago now that we had the right, right. The but there's there's short but, seasons, so it's not that long ago that yeah. yeah. I, I just was not expecting it yeah. this quickly yeah, to yeah. have another two parter, and so I'm like, you know, I was really getting into it, and then all of a sudden it's like they're there, and he's you know being forced to choose between <laughs> the maid and the matron or yeah. the mistress and the lover or whatever, and and it's like no. <laughs> <laughs> what that's the end yeah oh yeah man yeah, yeah i was yeah. i was and, and a, a bit missed on that, that cliffhanger of all cliffhangers but yeah okay so well, and 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 i think that's the thing is like had i been expecting it i would have yeah like yeah. you would expect it to end on a cliffhanger so that's what yeah. but just the fact that it just stops and you're like <laughs> what no yeah. wait right. a minute i've been watching this for 42 minutes already i know what? <laughs> um okay so so Anyway, what I wanted to say was um, this is these are the the second we'll call it one story. So the second story uh, in what we've watched so far, written by Paul Cornell, um, who wrote Father's Day in series one. Mm. So he didn't have any in series two. Um, And actually, interestingly, um, and I think this is the only case of this. There's some other things which could maybe qualify, but. Um, this is the, uh, first and only story, which is based on a novel, um, which was a spinoff novel that he wrote in 1995 in the time when Doctor Who was canceled and off air. And I've said they continued to produce other media, you know, audio Mm -hmm. plays and comics Mm -hmm. and books and stuff. And so, and was that before the movie? Uh, the movie was 1996, so it was before, during, and after surrounding the time, you know. No, I mean the, this book. This book would have been the year before, before. yeah. Um, so all of the, I think all of the Virgin books had a series of Doctor Who books called The New Adventures, and they all featured the seventh Doctor, because that was the one who was current. This was before the TV movie with the eighth Doctor, so... Once the Eighth Doctor comes, you get a lot of spin-off media with, with him. You get Paul McGann sure. starring in audio adventures with the Eighth Doctor and everything. But okay. before that, it was um, Sylvester McCoy. Um, and so all the novels kind of featured him as the most current Doctor. So yeah. um, so this was a book called Human Nature that Paul Cornell, like the first involvement he had in Doctor Who more than just as a fan, was as a novelist for this series. Um, and so when Russell T. Davies brought the series back, one of the first things he thought about was how good human nature was. And one day we're definitely going to have to adapt hmm. that for the show. Um, okay. And, and he, they talked about it, 
even a couple years before they did these episodes, you know. Um, this probably isn't a story you could have done in season one. It's like you need a couple years yeah, to work yeah. up to it. Um, but so they had it kind of on the back burner. Um, and uh, in so just to kind of show you how well regarded the novel is in um, 98, Doctor Who magazine had a poll where all their fans and subscribers picked um, their favorite new adventures books and out of the dozens or I don't know how many um, there were published over the years, but um, human nature was the favorite. Um, mm. It topped the poll. So this is considered maybe the greatest spinoff book that has been written for Doctor Who uh -huh. and so comes with a certain amount of cachet into the series. Um, sure. And so I haven't read it myself, so, I, you know, probably you could do a whole podcast just about adaptation things. What did they change? What did they, you know, what did mm. they keep? What did they alter? All that kind right, of stuff. Right. So I don't, other than a couple, if you have particular questions, I don't know how important that is for our purposes, because from where we are, what's more interesting is the 10th Doctor and Martha, you know, because it wasn't the right. 10th Doctor. It was the seventh doctor and a different companion. So I'd rather, right. I'd rather look at it as an episode rather than as an adaptation of a novel. But I think it's interesting to know the history of that and that, and that Russell Davies as a showrunner is looking out for story opportunities everywhere, you know, kind of, you know, if we have a book that's good, great, we'll adapt that. That'll make a great episode. So um, it just kind of, puts this episode in a slightly different category to the others, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I guess the only question, so just, I guess more of a clarification than even a, a straight out question is then that this is then this, an adaptation of the story. It's not like a continuation of right. that book. Right. It's, it's right. The yeah, story it retold. Is, it is the story retold. And you know, again, you could do a whole podcast about the issues of canon in Doctor Who. So if the seventh Doctor <laughs> had this adventure, does that, does this negate the fact that, you know, does that mean that the virgin books aren't canon and whatever? Um, Paul Cornell is of the opinion that there is no such thing as Doctor Who canon, that if you have a story about a time-traveling, dimension-hopping <laughs> immortal canon loses its meaning you know because the elasticity yeah, the same adventure of, twice that's fine and and so it's it's almost you know does that make the the books not canon no but are we meant to be trying to fit the two stories in as one piece not necessarily they're separate stories um we're not necessarily meant to like be trying to figure out how the timelines work it's just a retelling of a mm -hmm. similar story under very similar circumstances, but tailored to a new doctor and a new companion and a new season and everything. So, sure. So I guess having given that introduction, I'd like to start with this sort of the family. Okay. The, which is, which are the monsters mm -hmm. who we don't ever actually see in and of themselves. No. Um, we only see their human counterparts yeah. or the bodies that they 
snatch. Yeah. Um, and sort of like the overall situation then that having been chased by the family that, that the doctor and Martha uh, put themselves in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know what there is to really, I guess, even say about the family. We don't learn that much about them. They apparently can travel through space and time and somehow can detect right. the did doctor you, did you catch, as a time lord. Did you catch how they travel through space and time? I didn't write it down. Okay. It, they, 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 they have a, something, they right? have a stolen, uh, time agents vortex manipulator. Um, uh, I'll tell okay. you right now, it's not Jack's, but, okay. but if we're meant to be thinking about Jack, you know, because maybe we're being prompted to think about Jack, that might be, you know, okay. that might be part of it. But yeah, they stole a vortex manipulator and, I guess they've wired this into their ship that they're somehow using this to track the doctor. And yeah, I mean, we don't, we're not going to get any great detail about the biology of how they work, but they're able to sniff out their prey and be given time travel and their heightened sense of smell, they can track the doctor anywhere because he's the only one. So they can run and run and they'll be running forever and the family will be right behind them basically. Yeah. Um, okay. So in order to escape them, mm. the doctor has to disguise himself as a human and rewrites his DNA mm-hmm. basically and gets rid of his second heart somehow and, and all of that. Um, and then, for some reason, chooses to go to 1913. Well, the TARDIS picks the setting and the character, and that's all. Ah, I, didn't, I don't think I picked up on that. He that says it was something. The that... Yeah, he says, like, the, the chameleon circuit, which is wired into the TARDIS mainframe, will mm-hmm. find a setting and create a backstory for me, and it's going to. Okay. It's going to. I don't know do why a little I bit that of, it's, aspect of it's it. It's really quick. It's like when it's the flashback I, I when they're all him, running and shouting and like. Well, I remember yeah. him talking about the chameleon and the chameleon um, whatever and, <laughs> and how it'll rewrite his DNA and stuff. I didn't remember that he said that it would it would pick the setting and stuff. Okay, which makes more sense mm-hmm. because then it's that's just – yeah, it finds a it finds a location with. and and right. you know does whatever to sort of make sure there's a vacancy in the school and you know create a situation that he can just slot right into. Yeah, and so he he does. He's yeah. now Mr. Smith. Yeah. Uh, once more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Smith and Jones. <laughs> it's it, it, yeah. So is this so? Is that? Smith name John Smith very mm-hmm. nondescript name uh something that he like the doctor has always used in the past yeah. just as yeah. a yeah yeah ever a if ever moniker. since the that's always been the go to you know when i need when i need to pass as a human he's always John Smith and okay. and for its nondescriptness i think is sure, the point sure. of it yeah um yeah you can hardly get more nondescript. No. <laughs> Maybe his brother James Smith. Um, <laughs> you know, but anyway, the the uh, 
time that they pick and the situation they pick, though, not the best of times for Martha. No, no, <laughs> um, it's really not. Especially given the charge that that he gives her in his list of here's the things you need to remember. Yeah. Um, list of 23 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least 23, right. There, yeah. I suppose, could potentially be more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 setting is an interesting one. Um, so obviously we know, and we sort of get a couple of allusions to the fact that we know World War One is coming up, mm. or, or the Great War, of course. They wouldn't call it World War One at that point. Um, but but I liked how there were there were the several allusions to like previous wars as well. So we get the doctor teaching about Napoleon yeah. and the allied the allied forces, especially I thought was interesting use of the terms there because of course we always we think of allied forces as World War Two, yeah, yeah <laughs> you yeah. know more so than um, any other war at this point. Um, but of course they're looking backwards from from where they are and thinking of. Napoleon, but then we also get the veteran of the Crimean War. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I guess just just interesting there because they're, I guess, at a sort of military academy? Or uh, I'm not sure. I don't know enough about British public schools in that time to know whether military training would have been how common that might have been. I have no idea okay yeah i mean well certainly they're training with guns they are yeah and they're they seem to be marching around um yeah so it could be it could be some sort of some sort of school which then feeds into military academy or something you know that maybe these are officers in pre-training or something well and i mean a military academy um at least in the u.s doesn't necessarily mean training for the military per se although it seems in this case in britain they are yeah but but it it's more like the style of of you know teaching with the marching and with all of you know the discipline and stuff so it doesn't necessarily mean that every kid who goes is going to someday become a soldier it's just that's the style that they have but but it it does seem like it seems more than casual (laughs) military discipline in this in this situation um, especially with the gun training and the corporal punishment and um that sort of thing Mm -hmm. um the approved apparently right up through the top of the chain corporal punishment um that that was sort of interesting to me um yeah when 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 the is it hutchinson hutchinson is Mm -hmm. that the guy's name who asked permission to beat (laughs) latimer Latimer. uh yeah bizarre anyway yeah well that's Um, that's that's boarding school for you (laughs) i guess wow so at least um, in this time period in this time period anyway yeah, yeah yeah um so sort of rounding out like the situation or setting or whatever. Um, apparently the doctor and Martha have been there for a couple of months Mm -hmm. and Martha mentions only being there for another month longer. Mm -hmm. Um, do we know why only three months? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I lose track of what we kind of find out in this episode versus the next one. But the, the basic idea seems to be with the family that, so the logic to doing what they do, you know, is that, I mean, 
we see them possessing these people and they either we don't see their own bodies or maybe they have no real bodies of their own but it's almost like they they jump from host to host and sort of wear them out and the reason they need the time lord is because maybe they would lose that limitation that they could live off of him in, infinitely and there is a mention he regenerates or whatever yeah yeah and so um so that's why they're so fixed on following him and gotcha. at some point in the two episodes Martha says that um if they if they don't get to him in 3 months their life cycles were are just going to burn out so e okay. they won't be able to jump to another yeah i don't think we got that yet. yeah they, they won't they won't be able to just hop to another human host that they have a three month she she says that they're like mayflies like they have a limited life cycle and unless they get access to the time lord they're they're going to just die in three months so there's this yep. This prearranged, we're going to hide here for three months, and then presumably Martha's instruction is to open the, open watch, the watch, wake him up, yeah. and they can just go on their merry way. Um, and the aliens will have, you know, slunk off to some corner and died or something, you know. So so that's the logic. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we get the hint that there's only an a month longer but i don't think we got all of that in this particular episode but yeah. anyway and that doesn't fine. spoil it's just their it just explains their motivation yeah um and there's creepy scarecrows yeah um, that are the soldiers apparently yeah um s some sort of automaton yeah creatures. they're animated with something or other kind of like yeah kind of you imagine they're kind of Something like the the plastic men in like the the mm. nesting consciousness, like they're just right. robots basically. Um, right. Although they 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 compared the way they move to the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. That kind of like they almost seem like they're top heavy and falling over. Like they can't mm -hmm. quite walk right, which makes them really creepy. Um. So all of that. So so we talk. We started to talk a little bit, sort of, I guess, about. Um, the situation of the time then for Martha, and not just Martha, but but sort of the class and and racial mm -hmm. discriminations um, that go on in a number of settings. So there's, well, and Martha sort of alludes to it. I like when she's like, um, you know, saying something. Oh, because oh, of me being, you know, she kind of points to herself and yeah. and her friend there. Uh, the other maid is like, oh, what, a Londoner? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. she, yeah. you know, you're expecting it to be a racing, and yeah, it's yeah. not. It's, it's your, you know, you're, oh, you're a city person. Yeah. But you don't really understand how it goes, you know, out here. Yeah. The, this suffragettes may be fine yeah. in the city. Yeah. Like, they're all well and good, but, you know, in the city there. I, I thought that was an interesting. Well, and, um, I, and I, I took that a little differently. I think Jenny and Martha both know that it is a race thing, but it was an ironic comment like you know because oh. of she points to her skin and jenny goes oh what a londoner like that's what she's being discriminated for and that that was almost a joke rather a than tongue in cheek yeah like a tongue-in-cheek kind and of thing and it could have been there i guess i think what i took later when when you know they were forced to drink outside the pub mm -hmm. uh, no there's you know, definitely not, a class not being allowed element, there like yeah like it's not so there's there's a gender 
yep. thing going on. There's there's a class thing going on, but then there's also like a city and mm-hmm. country thing yeah. going on there. Like it, yeah. the, you know, there seem to be all of these different um, separations mm-hmm. in in various ways, and, and separations not in like a diversity is good sort of way, yeah. but a separations and segregations, in a, yeah, uh, yeah, segregation of knowing your place and and we get that very warning from joan mm-hmm. um who reminds martha that she maybe shouldn't be too familiar with mr smith mm-hmm. um and martha understandably has trouble remembering that because she's not used to such yeah i love the little moment when they tell her to knock and she just runs over <laughs> to the door and knocks and then runs right yeah back like in. very yeah 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 um and so, but we don't, I mean, I'll, most of that is in relation to Martha or people Martha is with. Uh, the other uh, notable one being also with Latimer, who we kind of talked about mm-hmm. a little bit earlier. But he clearly seems to be, I don't know if it's, you know, like because his parents are a lesser class or whatever. And so he is part of a lesser class than the boys he's with or if it's just because he's like an underclassman like he's smaller than the other boys i mean i don't know i haven't read a ton but certainly in this time period bullying and that's even a mild word for what it was was an institutionalized thing in these boarding schools in these boys you know schools in britain like if places like eaton and places like that um that there was a very rigid class structure within the school of mm-hmm. of bullies and they called them bloods i think like they had a whole terminology for it and then there would be the toadies who would be like the guys who right. hung on to the bullies and then you'd have everyone else the scum underneath and probably it would it would be for reasons of age or class or you know maybe being small or whatever, you know, and I mean, if anybody, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Surprised by Joy, C.S. Lewis's mm. autobiography. He has a whole chapter about like, you know, blooding in the public school and what a hellish torment it was to grow up in that environment. So this is pretty mild, I think, compared to, but you get that sense of the snobby, rich, upper-class twit older boys you know and the kind of what they do to the weaker ones underneath so yeah well and it's interesting that um you know when jenny says oh just think boys like that will be running the country in a few years yeah um and i wasn't quite sure how to take that either like was that a criticism or is she looking up to them Right. Or is it both? Like, right. I mean, like, it seems a little confusing there. Like, yeah. what exactly is she she's saying about it? And, of course, and then Martha gives her significant, oh, 1913, maybe not. Yeah, you know, yeah, But, yeah. you know, regardless, regardless of her knowledge about the future, um, you know, there does seem to be some, like, yeah, it's just accepted. Mm-hmm. And even, yeah, and, and I mean given that the headmaster gives Hutchison permission to beat Latimer. <laughs> oh, it's not the like, headmaster. It's John. It's Smith says permission granted. 
Well, but the headmaster's right there. Well, that's true. He says he, he, he says like it's he, your call, and he, Smith says like he, go for he it. He tacitly yeah gives the permission. Yeah, they both and, they both endorse it. Yeah, right. And then and then and then Mr. Smith is the one who says yes, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So you know it's but that's what I'm saying is it's right up to yeah. the top. Like yeah. it's not even whatever. And 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 the the odd thing there that I that I had is then. I almost expected because you see this sort of the sick look that Joan has right mm-hmm. when she's kind of watching on, and then you learn that she was thinking about her husband. Mm-hmm. Like she's not sick because Latimer's being taken off and beaten. <laughs> right. That's yeah. almost what I expected what, her to right, say at right, that moment. Yeah. Like, like how you know how could you let that boy? Right, get, right. It's you know, so it's so institutional that even the sensitive school nurse doesn't bat an eyelash. You know, right, that this right, is so right. She's having flashbacks yeah. to you know the fact that her husband was killed. Yeah. So, you know, it's just yeah, it's just very it's a it's a very strange to me sort of way of thinking. Yeah. But um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing given that this episode is called human nature Mm. and and we get the war illusions and we get the you know class distinctions and it's it's not a pretty is is this what human nature is yeah Yeah. like is this is this kind of what we're being and especially because it's all set in this kind of idyllic edwardian rural pre-industrial you know like this is doctor who does downton abbey like you know it's (laughs) like this is the most picturesque bbc period drama that you would get on masterpiece or whatever and and but underneath there's all this yeah you know underbelly which kind of complicates how peaceful and simple it looks you know um Mm. yeah yeah. So anyway, so that's all. That's all just set up. <laughs> we haven't even like, that's started just, yet. On we haven't even started talking about the like episode, actual characters. Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess I would start with Martha. Okay. Um, because she's the one who we sort of see the thing. I mean, obviously there's cuts away and we see other characters doing stuff, yeah. but but she's sort of the primary one that we see as as the main part of the action going on here um so first of all it's crucial the doctor asked her several times like in the first opening well i guess it's the opening scene so it's not technically a flashback i guess i don't know is it yeah it's the opening scene but then we flash we return to it later yeah um where he keeps asking her did they see your face did they see your face like that um so so yes so that seems interesting that there's such a focus on that um and then she's contrasted with the fact that she's put in a into a position where people don't notice her unless they want something right like Mm -hmm. it's it's the just do your job like even the the hutchison and and baines when they're kind of walking by you know they stop because the maids are making too much noise yeah, you know yeah. they're they're laughing too loudly and <laughs> interrupting apparently their scholarly thoughts or whatever um they but, don't have yeah. any scholarly thoughts what i said i don't think they have a scholarly thought in their head <laughs> no no i yeah i was being slightly facetious yeah, no, there, perhaps uh the the 
Yeah. So, I mean, the position that she's in then, of course. So the contrast, um, she's a maid, right? She's someone who's taking care of things that Mm -hmm. other people, you know, so that other people don't have to pay attention to them or or whatever. And, of course, that's also her role for the doctor. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Taking care of the doctor because he's not the doctor at the moment. He's just some human. Yeah. And, and, and that's the, you know, part of his instructions is don't, you know, don't let me hurt anyone. Don't whatever, but also don't let me, um, just sort of chuck you away. Yeah. Like I, first, yeah. I forget the exact wording, but yeah, I think by the end of the I episode, he's dismissing her. You. Right. And, and it's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's an interesting role for her because it's, it's certainly not an easy one. Like it's he, you know, and he asked her several times too, like, do you trust me? This is that this is, you know, what we need to do. And she does. And it, I mean, it, it's not an easy thing for her to do. No, um, absolutely. I mean, we talked last week about kind of the escalating levels of trust with the, the, which they're placing in each other. And definitely Mm. again, we're escalating that to put her in this situation for two whole months is a lot to ask. Um, but equally a lot is at stake. I mean, his life is at stake, his very consciousness. Um, Mm. so it's a lot to ask of her, but he's also placing an enormous amount of responsibility on her hands too. And, and trust. Yeah. Like he, he certainly must have trust in her as well. Um, not just not trust even in that like that she'll do what she says, but that she's capable yeah. of of you know doing the things that need to be done mm-hmm. to take care of him while he can't take care of himself in in that way anyway. Yeah. Um, complicated by the fact that you know you would almost hope that if she were in such a situation that she would be like the matron or someone you know right. who 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 could be going wherever she needed to go at any particular time. Right. But, and you get that in the moment when she's asking, did you check for the concussion and everything? Like she's more medically qualified than Joan is, yeah, clearly. you know, you know, so, but she has to kind but she of has to bite, bite her tongue, her tongue. and, yeah. and open the curtains and tidy up the books and, you know, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. No, that's a, that's actually a great scene when she's, when she's doing all that tidying up and sort of watching the two of them, because then the other aspect of it, of course, is as she, as she states, you know, you had to go and fall in love with a human and it's not me. Yeah. Um, and she's seeing that all happening while at the same time, supposed to be sort of aware of what he's saying with regard to, his being the doctor mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff and and all the stuff that he's written down in this journal yeah right which of, he uh, which he i like the way he kind of throws out i haven't shown this to anybody so he's having dreams about the doctor and writing it all down and yeah he told her about a dream he had but he takes out the journal for joan you know he didn't mm-hmm. take it out to show martha mm-hmm. yeah and that he's dreaming about rose yeah Right, and who I, the other subtle thing in there is this character I call her Rose, and she seems to disappear later on. That you know, there's elements of the story with not just faces and monsters which are coming through, but his own 
narrative and everything. Mm. Um, and it's actually yeah. the first. Well, we'll get back to Martha in a second. The, the, I don't want to forget that the the faces you see some of the other doctors in the journal. That some mm. of those faces are past doctors, and I think that's the first time that we've seen that in New Who is images of previous, of previous doctors. doctors. So just a little yeah thing to yeah. mark. But yeah. um, but yeah, no, that definitely. Yeah, Martha trying to busy herself with cleaning, but looking over Joan's shoulder, trying to see what are they looking at, you know, listen mm -hmm. in on the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh comes back to that, don't let me abandon you. Mm, I um, know. <laughs> and, and like I was saying a minute ago, like by the end of the episode, she's, he's dismissing her, firing right? her, yeah. you know, like, Kicks her out. like well, in not her just point, abandoning and her, her, but her point making in her the, leave uh, yeah yeah well and her point when she goes back to the to rewatch his instructions is what am i supposed to do okay don't let me abandon you how you know right. you said not to open it unless the family find us and at that point she doesn't know that they found it and by the time she does know the watch is gone but um so she's has explicit instructions to not screw up the plan how on earth is she supposed to communicate to him? You can't go falling in love with this lady because you're going to wake up in a couple months, you know? Right. right. So how on earth is she actually supposed to yeah. stop him from abandoning her? Well, and I mean, she does the best that she can at that point. Yeah. right? So she, <laughs> she grabs a sonic screwdriver and she appeals to Joan's knowledge as a woman. Yeah. You know, like, you know he's different than other men. Yeah. You can sense it, right? You, you, there's something there, and and we've already seen Joan call him an extraordinary man. Yeah. So yeah. we already know that she's sort of thinking along these lines, at least subconsciously. Mm. Um, you know that there seems to be something different about him. Um, I like that whole scene where the doctor. Well, and we'll talk about the doctor, <laughs> a bit, but um, the whole scene where where he he does his. Uh, almost Sherlockian, you know, deduction of events that are about to occur and, and yeah. then takes the apple or what, whatever it uh, is. Like a or, cricket ball or something. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something red and round and chucks it. And, the, you know, there's this whole like a uh, yeah. mouse trap yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, thing exactly. that occurs to yeah. stop the baby carriage from going underneath the, uh, right. And that's interesting. Cause I think it's, it's, important that he's it's not like the doctor has amnesia i think it's important we're i have stopped skipping ahead to the doctor i think it's important that he's not the doctor right that smith is a right. separate character but there's enough doctoriness tucked away that it's almost like a reflex that he sees a dangerous situation and by instinct he you know, saves the baby, you know, and right. that sort of, and then he's kind of surprised at Shocked his own, yeah. you know, genius and then has the <laughs> courage to ask her to the dance, you know? So, uh, yeah, that is a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway, going back to Martha. Yes. Um, so yeah, so she appeals to Jones, uh, you know, senses of this isn't, quite right like there you know that there's something 
a little different about this guy and and then attempts to get the doctor to name mm. the sonic screwdriver um which he doesn't do mm-hmm. um at least not in that moment maybe that'll be like the first thing he does in part two i don't know <laughs> but uh yeah I thought that was interesting because i i almost expected him to to like say oh I call that a sonic screwdriver in my journal. Yeah. How, right, how do you right. have one? Or, you know, something like that. Like, right. like, you know, to recognize it as something he's dreamed about. Mm. And then I don't, you know, maybe again, go into sort of deductive mode, but we don't, I mean, we get interrupted of course, uh, by the family yeah. coming in and, and doing all this stuff. But, um, yeah, real quick. The thing I like about, I, I think, I like that the Martha Joan relationship doesn't really ever devolve into any sort of cattiness. I mean, I think there's yes. jeal- there's jealousy there, but there's also maturity. Um, and and I like that it, you do get the sense from Joan that even though she thinks that Martha is uppity and she thinks that maybe some of the things she's saying are crazy, she there is a part of her which kind of believes Martha that you get the sense that she kind of understands that Martha has something worth listening to. Um, she's not willing to just totally deny, you know, she's the one who says, you know, the funny thing is you did have a watch on that mantle, you know, that there might be something else going on and she's willing to at least listen to it, if not yeah. totally believe it. And well, and similarly for Martha, she doesn't just attack Joan. She tries to be very gentle with her. You know, you're a nice person and I don't want to see you get hurt. And I'm sorry that I'm going to wreck your relationship, but I can't help that, you know? So I know. And like, you can't help, but rooting for Joan, (laughs) like, like while at the same time, you kind of know it's not going to work out. (laughs) Like you're like, Oh, poor Joan. I I, I do want her to, you know, to, 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 to have this. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think you're right. Like there is maturity in that, in their interactions, even alongside competition yeah, you know, or, yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and it is funny that, that Joan in her own way is more kind even than Mr. Smith. Mm mm-hmm. Um, not the doctor, but yeah. Mr. Smith, you know, um, who is very upset and very like his whole um, assumption that Martha doesn't really get what's going on because yeah. of cultural differences, <laughs> you know, like that's a very, I mean, yeah. yes, it's how, not racism in the way. Get? Yeah. Yeah. It's not racism in the way of, you know, saying someone, who has black hands couldn't possibly recognize dirt, but yeah. you know, like it is certainly racist in that sort of condescending, yeah. you know, yeah. at heart, you're still a savage and you yeah, couldn't yeah. possibly understand a cultured, you know, way yeah. that I live. Yeah. Very so, imperialist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and yeah, that, that was, that was really kind of an odd moment there where, when he's doing that. Uh, but, but I think you're right. Like, Joan does, at least to a degree, treat her better and think, does seem to think anyway, that that there's something going on um, and that what Martha has to say is at least to some degree valid. And, you know, 
she knows that Martha was with the Smith family for mm-hmm. some time, apparently, before that. And and Mar- the interesting use of the word, um, you know, he just sort of inherited me, you know, sort yeah. of giving that that almost that idea of slavery, mm-hmm. you know, to it or, or at least indenture. Um, yeah. You know, alongside uh, all of the other stuff going on. Um, but anyway. So, um, I mean, maybe we can just keep talking about Joan for sure. a bit then, because I think un- unless there's anything more about Martha you wanted to sort of get at. No, let's talk about Joan. Um, I don't, and I, actually, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about her other mm-hmm. than that, like, <laughs> if Martha is too familiar with the doctor, it's maybe Joan's only pointing that out due to a bit of jealousy sure yeah because she clearly wants to be more familiar with oh the absolutely yes <laughs> yeah um, no she's not so, subtle with the with the hints of marriage and no. courtship and yeah no yeah yes nurses we make good wives we make such good wives <laughs> oh you know what's funny about that scene is, um he names his just a little trivia he names his parents uh as Sydney and Verity and Sydney Newman was um the executive the first executive producer of Doctor Who that he co-created the show and Verity oh, okay. Lambert was the first producer like that ran the show um and she was uh 27 in 1963 at the BBC she was like this awesome you know trailblazing woman in a you can imagine it was something like Mad Men, you know, and she had to kind of fight her way into, and if anybody hasn't seen, go watch uh, An Adventure in Space and Time, which just came out this year, which was a a little drama about the making of Doctor Who, and so you'll get to see Sydney and Verity, but I think I like that, that his parents are the people who created the show, so his sure. his origin stretches back to Sydney and Verity, but... right. And apparently he's from Gallifrey, which is, or, is or he learns, Ireland, uh, yeah. yeah, somewhere yeah. in Ireland. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, we were talking about her. We make such good wives and yeah, all her. Yeah. Yeah. Call- she, I mean, she's very forward, it seems. Yeah. Um, and, and putting herself out there to uh, the, the, you, you have to sort of laugh at the, conversations about dancing yeah, and all of absolutely. that and yeah and 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 the doctor sort of not being sure, not whether sure woman, whether joan dance. would be the sort of woman yeah. who dances or yeah. or whatever like, yeah yeah the, no, he's so flustered that he falls down yeah, the stairs yeah. talking about dancing yeah. right because he's like backing away yeah, like inching yeah, away slowly yeah, yeah. um and then she asks him well do you dance mm. do you know how to dance and he's not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. We know. We know that the doctor The dances, doctor does dance, but... but um, well, anyway. and, and and again, this isn't the doctor. John Smith has never danced before. So there, that might be a, a, a slightly flustering sort of question. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. How, how good is this backstory that the TARDIS gave? Yeah, him, right. right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess he he does find out that he can dance though. So yeah, there you go. No, I uh... no, uh, we're sub- we're absolutely meant to be hearing that euphemism every time that euphemism co- every time dancing comes up in Doctor Who. I think 
you can think of the doctor dances. Um, well, and it's it's pretty thick. It's pretty here. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it it you, you almost Yeah, you can't unless you, you can't hadn't miss seen it. that episode. Yeah. Like you you almost couldn't uh Yeah, I mean, it kind of works in the time period because you imagine that dancing was like, you know, a significant, mm-hmm. you know, there's something kind of intimate about them doing the waltz together that he could be just embarrassed by that but because we've seen the other episodes we know that it also has a slightly different you know there's a double entendre going there yeah um Um, yeah and 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 he seems okay with the attention that she's giving him um yeah i mean you know beyond that sort of initial flusteredness now i mean and again we know that he's been there for a couple of months so Mm. They've had clearly some sort of, I don't know if relationship is quite the word. I mean, I guess relationship in the most like sort of benign sense of the word. Um, You know, like they clearly know who each other are, but she sees this dance as the opportunity, right? Like, like you almost get the sense that she's been thinking about this for a while and trying to figure out the, the way to sort of put herself out there as a potential, uh, companion yes yeah, sure. like not even companion in that sense but i that word sort of slipped out but um a potential mate or uh-huh. i don't know um yeah yeah no doubt no i think yeah it's sort of like this is we're meant to be seeing the first stages of them courting each other but they've known each other for the two months you know they've mm-hmm. had a professional relationship and maybe they're starting to sort of take a shine or something but yeah but this is definitely her saying wink wink ask me to the dance you know right right yeah. right i've, I've I, never it's been a long time since i've danced yeah nobody's asked <laughs> um, me you should nobody's ask asked me, me in yeah. a while uh and and um and then like when he uh, like she's walking along and and there's the beam of light and um they see it and 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 he offers kindly to walk mm-hmm. her back to the school and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like he he seems to be okay. Yeah. With with uh, you know the atten- the attentions that she's giving him. Um, and again to Martha's chagrin. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, and and to the point where, um. Martha's complaining about their budding relationship becomes sort of the moment of tension that we get for the uh, sort of culminates, I guess, in the moment of tension that we get as the the cliffhanger. So yeah, we'll see where that takes us, uh, I suppose. But anyway, on to the doctor himself, I mm. guess. Yeah. Um, by way of Joan, which I so. Like we said, he sort of likes her affections, but so I guess we're not really talking about the doctor. We're talking about mm. Mr. Smith. Yeah, I, 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 in my notes, I broke them out as two separate characters. <laughs> I, I um, put the doctor slash Mr. And Smith, and I think both ways are. It's just an organizational thing, but um, but you'll notice that the credits do the same thing. Um, when you mm. get to the credit, I don't know if this is true for the second part, but certainly for this first one. It uh, David Tennant is credited as the Doctor slash Smith, as mm. and and 
from what I watched of the supplemental material, that's the way he approached it was a new character. Um, and I think you can really see that reflected that his, sure. his, his speech, his posture, everything is it's subtly different. It's not night and day, but it's different. He's not playing the doctor. He doesn't really sound or act like the doctor. So, um, I think he really does a really good job of making you believe that they're the same, but different. That it, it's not just the doc. Again, it's not just the doctor with amnesia, that this is a new person who mm -hmm. is different and is fully human and has right. no idea of what he, you know, where he originated from. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with any of that. All um, that to say that I separated my notes, but it makes no <laughs> difference. We can talk about them together. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much there is to say then about the doctor himself. I mean, we already talked about sort of the opening scene, mm -hmm. you know, they're running away. We talked about the chameleon thingamajig uh -huh. and its effect on him. Um, and that he leaves some notes for Martha. Yeah. Not much more to say about the doctor other than those things. So talking about Mr. Smith, mm. um, and we already mentioned his, so, so there is his sort of participation, I guess, in that, in that whole class slash racial yeah. discrimination and, and segregation and stuff. Um, which I almost I I hesitated to use the word participation, but but it I think it is participation. I don't think we can sort of relegate it to um, you know a passive thing because he does actively give permission mm -hmm. for Latimer to be beaten. Yeah, he does actively treat Martha like an underling, um, not just an underling, someone of a different class. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, very, very much so. Even though he may be fond of her, it's... Right. It is in a condescending one, sort of way. It's one... And it's not even, like... Like, I was almost thinking of, like, Frodo and Sam, right? Mm, but it's not yeah. even, like, that. No. You know, it's not... Like, like Sam, yeah, he calls Frodo master. And I know there's, like, people who sort of criticize Tolkien for that sort of class uh, distinction there mm. and stuff. But, like... Even that seems like a much better, you know, situation. Like, yeah, this is yeah. Like, Sam is more than just the servant. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't ever get right, and you don't get the idea that Frodo ever thinks less of Sam. Yeah. for his status as his gardener, yeah. you know what I mean. Like, well, and so much of that had to do with Tolkien's respect for the Batman in World War One. That that these people who that he's mm -hmm. elevating them to the respect they deserve, not, well, you and, know, whatever. And, and, and with Tolkien's appreciation for, for natural things, a gardener, a gardener is, course, is the highest you know, compliment. Yeah. 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 A compliment. So, you know, I, there, there was a sort of a parallel that, that I thought about and then dismissed between, between. Them, <laughs> right. It's more of a um, contrast. And, and the that, way that, yeah, that the doctor treats Martha or Mr. Smith <laughs> treats Martha yeah. here. Uh, because there there definitely is a class distinction that is going on and yeah. and 
it it's like a step above maybe a favored pet you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like yeah. like like there's like okay martha's been with the family for a long time and and you know she is a good maid so you know that's all well and good but there is a line there is a certain propriety that certainly the doctor doesn't ever seem to have you mm-hmm. know which mr smith absolutely recognizes yeah, here yeah um, no it it, it and, and, and I, recognizes it in, in relation to Martha crossing <laughs> that line of propriety, yeah, you know, a yeah. number of times. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think of the doctor's been slapped by a couple of people, whereas, you know, Mr. Smith gets slapped and Martha gets fired. You know, the, I mean, now the doctor didn't have anyone in his employ, but you know what I mean? Like, the doctor just kind of, you slap him, all right, he gets over it, you know. And it's always mothers. This is, this is more of an affront you know yeah 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 he takes it as a as a sign of disrespect and yeah and i think that's to the point of to to strengthen that point of this isn't the doctor in hiding this is somebody new and this is somebody who is of his time you know mm-hmm. that he has all of the the prejudice and snobbery of the time to which he belongs and he's not a bad person but he's not an ageless time lord either he's a guy from 1913 and a white guy who has a nice job and has you know privilege Some so privilege, yeah. yeah 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 um yeah i don't know what to say much more about that of, of course i mean and and we get like little slips of information like we we're talking about the Gallifrey thing and his father was a watchmaker and his mm-hmm. mother was a nurse yeah. and, and that sort of, but it's, it's all sort of filled in, um, you, you know, from his own, well, from the doctor's memories, but like, yeah, you know, again, you don't, it's funny because you almost see him seeing like, like getting that information almost like externally. It's almost like, when he's asked those questions, like he's almost like reading it from somewhere, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem to be like actually part of him. Oh, Um, remember that for the next episode. Okay. Remember that you said that. Okay. Well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I I, I don't know. I I guess. And it's hard to talk about Mr. Smith because I don't, find mr smith very interesting okay (laughs) um you know other than yeah his relationship with joan Uh which we've already talked about um he's he's kind of a jerk yeah i guess and i mean yeah i don't i don't know that i mean i think he has institutionalized prejudice i don't know that he as a person seems like i mean i think some of the ways he treats Martha, who's someone who is supposed to be, you know, loyal and a friend, you know, crosses over the line from, you know, ignorance into jerkitude. But, um, but I think a lot of it, I don't think we're meant to see Smith as, as a bad guy necessarily. Okay. That's my reading. Well, I mean, you said you're kind of rooting for Joan. Aren't you kind of rooting for yeah, the couple I mean, in a sense? Is this is this someone you don't think is worthy of Joan? 
it, it's hard because it's it, it's hard. You're rooting for Joan, but I don't know that I'm rooting for her to be with Mr. Smith. Okay. I'm rooting for her to be with the doctor. Ah, but it, interesting. But, but that's, but you're right. That's not who we're getting here. So I, I don't know. I guess I, I, I can honestly say I don't know at this point because I, I don't. Yeah. I think you're right to say that, that it's institutionalized, but it doesn't change the fact that he lets a kid get beat. And it doesn't change the fact that he treats Martha yeah, like and no, jerk. and I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> imply that institutionalized prejudice is is therefore not prejudice. You know, it, it's still it's yeah. still treating human beings in a in a cruel way. Um, so, um, but but you're right. I mean, it, I just it, don't know. I don't think we're meant to see that as an indictment of his character, separate to the mm. the time in which he lives. Is it still an indictment? Yes. But I don't know that we're meant. I think that's slightly different from, like, okay, like, like a a counterexample might be, um, I'm gonna forget his name, but I think we're meant to see the family in the Idiot's Lantern as typical of the time period and institutionalized with the 1950s. But I think we're also meant to see the father in that episode as cruel, above and beyond what is of his time, you know, whereas I don't know that Smith goes to that level. Yeah. So okay. I would just draw a, you know, does that absolve him of everything? No, but I think there's a difference of degree there. Yeah. And there, and there may be, and, and I don't mean to imply that I think he's all bad either. Um, we already talked about sort of his, you know, saving the, the woman with the pram and, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. So, okay. I don't, I don't know. Like I, I think the, all of this stuff of, uh, the doctor versus Smith and where Joan fits all of that is a great thing to be thinking about as we go into the next episode. <laughs> Yeah, it, we're gonna I come mean, back to it, <laughs> and that and that's the hard part too with two parters. Yeah, yeah, you don't is, know yet is, where it's going. You don't know yeah. what's gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, I don't. That's all I have to say about that. In words of <laughs> horoscope. Um, okay. I, I suppose. Lastly, we need to talk about Timothy Latimer. Yes. Um, um, wait, I have one more quick thing about. Smith. Oh, just that there was okay. I never actually noticed this before but on this watch I noticed that um the doctor says to Martha um you know basically open the watch when if the family find us you'll know if it's time to do it your choice and the episode ends with the cliffhanger and Bane saying maid or matron your friend or your lover your choice so mm -hmm. another meme which might you know, be significant is choices uh, and sort of, sure. you know, difficult choices in difficult circumstances. So just wanted to point that out. Okay. But now we can talk um, about Latimer. Yeah. So, and we already discussed probably ad nauseum already, uh, the, the class stuff there. So I'll just 
the obvious things is that he has some sort of sight or mm -hmm. prophetic yeah. abilities or whatever. Uh, well, and maybe not wholly prophetic, but telepathic or something. Like, there's something yeah, going some on. Yeah, some sort of psychic um, or telepathic, something he, like that. You know, because he, he, he hears or says, uh, you know, the thing about Africa and, mm, and yeah. Hutchinson's uh, father's letter there. Um, but then also like the whole whispering, like the almost the almost the lost like whispering that he hears from the watch, right? The yeah. the the voices, um, you know, sort of with the whispered Time Lord and the the things that are going. Yeah, on and you there. can so, even hear the Doctor whispering things to Latimer a little bit. I mean, whether he knows who it is I don't know but you hear things like keep me hidden and you know keep it secret keep it safe that kind of stuff you know <laughs> right <laughs> you hear little uh, things like that like like almost like he has some awareness that someone has the watch and he's trying to tell them don't open it don't open it so mm. but Latimer because Martha doesn't seem to hear anything John Smith certainly doesn't hear anything so Latimer seems like he can pick up on that a little bit better right. than the others. Yeah, well, and you wonder, is his ability similar to that of the families, too? Like, I mean, they sniff, obviously, mm, yeah. but they, they have some way of detecting the things that Latimer also is detecting through sound of some sort. So I, I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly how all of that works. It's just that he seems to have this sort of power. The other interesting thing that I, that I wanted to say about Latimer is that conversation. Um, when he goes to pick up the book from the, from Mr. Smith mm. and Mr. Smith says, you're a clever boy, but you seem to be hiding it. Mm, yeah. Which is, is exactly what the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. That describes yeah. him. No as man well, right? should so hide himself. <laughs> right. Right. He gives that whole like speech about, yeah you know, living up to your full abilities and not mm -hmm. hiding yourself and all of that. Um, yeah. So I thought that was an interesting little parallel and, and not quite sure what to make of that either, just other than that it did seem to apply to the doctor and Mr. Smith. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. And and he gets, I guess, a prophetic vision of his own death uh, yeah. coming up. Yeah, it's definitely either in the trench and... So there a seems to be a mortar, a shell, or, or a bomb, or something is, yeah, yeah. which not sucks. good. Yeah, not good. I mean, you could understand why he might have problems holding, you know, a ream of bullets at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, and then and then matter. he gets beaten for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. As if the yeah, as if seeing your own death isn't traumatic enough. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, well. I think it's time to wrap up because yeah. I want to watch the other episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> no. Any any other any other final things um, about this episode? We didn't really uh, talk about Bane specifically. Yeah, I there's think... not too much. Bane's gets possessed pretty early on. <laughs> right, right. We sort of talked about the family, and and there is that line I did note. Um, you were talking about how they sort of go through bodies and and he says we go through shapes so mm, very fast yeah. yours is perfectly adequate 
<laughs> what, what every woman wants to hear. Yeah. Your body is adequate. Yours will do. <laughs> if a little grim. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Um, so we do get sort of that sense of they're consumers of yes. some type yes. of bodies. Um, anyway, so. Um, but yes, we'll we'll be back next week to talk about the the final half of this two-part episode. See you then. Thank you.